Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Jeff Dahl, Senior Pastor of Stockbridge Community Church. I want to say thank you for joining us online. It is our prayer that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our Sunday services at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you'd like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply click the Give Online link at the upper right-hand corner in your web browser. And let me say it again, thank you so much for joining us today. It is so good to see you today. We're absolutely delighted that you're here. Today, as Pastor Kevin's already talked about, we're going to talk about how to learn how to be happy uh, God's way. Let me just ask you this question. How many of you know somebody, not you, but you know somebody that needs a happy class? Let me see your hand. Okay, great. See, I knew, I know it's not you, all right? So what I want you to do today is I want you to take the notes and give them to them, right? So uh, if you do that today, I'm so excited that you're here today. And I, as I open up, I want, to, I want to tell you this, that happiness is that we, we mistakenly try to earn happiness, but happiness cannot be earned. Happiness can only be learned. Do you hear that? Many times in our relationships, we say, you know, well, if they would do this for me, then I would be happy. In other words, they could earn my happiness. And, th- and then we think, okay, if I can do this for them, then they would be happy and I could earn their happiness, you know? But it doesn't work that way. We also talk about, like, money. if I had more money, I would be happy. So our whole culture says happiness can be earned, but it's not. Happiness has to be learned. It has to be learned. And so today I want to give you four things that, uh, that you need to learn to be happy from God's Word. As I set this up this morning, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament, has written this book in the uh, book of Philippians, which is called the... the uh, the most happiest book of the whole Bible, and he written, he was writing it from a jail cell, and he's writing it about uh, back to a church. At, uh, he's in a Roman jail cell, cell, and he's writing it to a church in uh, Philippi, which is close to Greece. And as he's writing this, he begins to talk to them about some principles that will make you happy. And he starts talking about individuals we're going to talk about today in Philippians chapter 2 that were happy, and here's some traits in their life. So if you'd write this down for number one this morning, if I'm going to be happy, I have to shift the focus away from myself, okay? Now, Paul, again, is talking, the verse we're about to read to you in just a moment, he's talking about Timothy, who was a Christ follower. Timothy was like a son in the Lord to Paul. And as we read this verse here in Philippians 2 and 20, listen to what it says. He says, I have no one else like him, talking about Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And notice his next statement. For everyone looks out after their own what? Their own interest. Everyone else does that. In other words, unselfish people are rare. Would you agree with that? Why is that? Why is that in our culture? Well, I'll tell you because in our culture... We see that it's all about us. We're marketed to it all to be about us. And as you'll see behind me, Coke. Coke says, you know, open happiness when you open a Coke. In other words, if you drink a Coke, you're going to be happy. Uh, I've been thirsty and it's helped me before, but I don't know if it made me happy. Then Audi, Audi simply says, you know, finally, joy has arrived or meaning has arrived when you drive an Audi. So it's all about us. And Sprite simply says, obey your thirst. You know, 
Then we have uh, Burger King, and what does Burger King ads say? What? Have it your way. Well, let me just tell you something. That's wonderful when you're ordering a burger. If you're going to order a Whopper, have it your way. But when it comes to relationships, I'm telling you, you can't have it your way. And if you demand it your way all the time, you're going to be miserable. So it's not about having it your way. And let me just say this to you today if you're single. If you're single here today, I want you to know it's better to sit home by yourself than to date a self-absorbed person. Did you hear that? Because a person who is wrapped up in themselves is no gift. Ooh, ooh, ooh. A person who's wrapped up in themselves is a very small present. <laughs> we just leave it at that, right? Mm. And I'm telling you, it's better, it's better not to date than to have to date someone like that. Listen, you date a jerk, you end up marrying a jerk, and then you end up living with a jerk, and you end up being miserable the rest of your life. So why not cut it off in the beginning? I don't know who I'm saying that for, but you got it anyways. Look at this. I put this on next statement on your outline. I'd like for you to read the, this with me. You ready? Come on. Let's read this out loud together. Here we go. The more I focus on me, the more unhappy I'll be. Wow. Did you hear that? That is, that is the truth if it's ever been spoken. The more I focus on me, the more unhappy I will be. And you will be when it's all about you. I know that goes, that goes against all the grain of our society, but it is true. Let me give you the second one. Number two, if you want to be happy, I must learn how to, number two, become someone that trusts or that people trust. Become someone that people trust. Again, Paul goes right back to Timothy, and he begins to say this. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has what? Served with me. Notice that word served. He served with me in the work of the gospel. In other words, Paul was saying Timothy is the real deal. You can count on him. He's the real deal. And would you agree with me that trust equals relationship? Without trust, you cannot have a relationship. Do you agree with that? You see, you've got to trust built, you know, it's love and trust, trust and love, ever how you want to say it. But without trust, you'll have no love, and without love, you'll have no real relationships. It goes together. And so you have to become a trustworthy person in your life if you want to be happy. When you, uh, how many of you have ever had to uh, go buy something, when you was going to go buy something, and they had to do a, a credit check. Anybody ever had a credit check beside me? Okay, that's about half of us. The rest of you will one day, okay? When you go to buy something like a house or a car or anything like that, the, the people you're buying from want you to do a credit check. They want to go back and, and check your credit and see if you made all your payments when you said you'd make them. They want to see what your credit is like. And so that's what our credit score is all about. They want to check that. And I just want to tell you this, that the people around you all the time are doing a credit check. All the time. They're checking you out to see if you're trustworthy. Can you be trusted or not? Your reputation is going before you, and, and, and the, the way to predict the future is look back at the past and say, has this person been trustworthy? Can they be trustworthy, trusted again? So 
the more people trust you, the happier that you will be. Now, I put this on your outline here because I thought this was pretty good. I thought we'd go back to, uh, to uh, kindergarten again with a couple of things here. How do you develop a reputation for being a trustworthy person? Well, here's two things. Would you write this down? Letter A is this. Live with integrity. <clears throat> After you write that down, I want you to look at me just a second because I want to tell you how to live with integrity. You know how you live with integrity? The first rule of living with integrity is this, is you do what you say you're going to do. Did you hear that? Integrity starts right there. You know, if you want to lead your family, men, you've got to do what you say you're going to do. Ladies, if you're going to lead your home, you've got to do what you say you're going to do. If you want to lead at work, you've got to do what you say you're going to do. If you want to lead in your neighborhood, do what you say you're going to do. That is the first step of integrity. You know, you know somebody right now that's come to your mind that they tell you, yeah, you can count on me, I'll be there. And they never show up. Oh, well, let me give you one worse than that. Are you ready? Just go ahead and buckle up right now. Okay, tighten it up because it's coming. Your feet may leave the ground on this one. What I think is one of the most damaging things to integrity is people that are habitually late. Habitually late. You know, when you say you're going to be somewhere at 10 o'clock and you're continually there at 1030, 1045, you know what you're telling that person? I don't respect you enough to be on time. I don't, and, and guess what? Your integrity is being hit every time. If you're the guy or the lady that's late to work every day, and you're wondering why you don't get a raise or you don't get promoted, it's because they're questioning your integrity. Now, I know you didn't come to church to hear that, but I want to help you. You see, if, you, if when you start doing what you say you will do, then all of a sudden you'll begin to get promoted. You'll begin to, to be liked by everybody else. They will look at you and say, this person is trustworthy. Man, I'm telling you, that will change your life and it will change the people around you. And by the way, our children and grandchildren are, are taking notes from us. So teach them to be people of integrity. Do what you say you will do. I think that is one of the greatest principles that I could share with you in the Proverb writer picks it up and writes, he says this, the wisest man that ever lived said this, reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks and sweltering heat. Refreshing. Isn't that the way it is to be a per, around a person who you know when they tell you they're going to do something, they do it. Isn't that refreshing? On the other hand, you got people in your life that you know when they tell you, well, now this time I'm going to do it. Now this time I'm going to do it. I ain't lying this time. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And you know, the old saying is, I'm not holding my breath, right? Don't be that person. If you've been that person, change today. Make a decision today. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, that your integrity can go up. And remember, Timothy was a Christ follower, so he had the Holy Spirit helping him. Listen, you know, many times when you make a commitment, the first thing you do is start thinking about how you can't really do this after you make the commitment. The devil will fill your head as to what you cannot do, especially when you make a commitment for Almighty God. 
He'll start telling you, you ain't got time for this. You know, you're too busy, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? He will let talk you out of something that God has got you, talked you into. So you need the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you if you want to be a man or woman in integrity. There's been many times I made a commitment. And you know what? After I made the commitment, I'm like, man, I just can't do that. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just in the moment. And then the Lord speak to me and said, you're a man of integrity. You do what you say you're going to do. If you want people to follow you, you've got to do what you say you're going to do. So I don't care if nobody else shows up, you get your fanny there. There's been many times it's just been me and one or two others, but I try to do what I say I'm going to do. Why? Because integrity grows, and the Holy Spirit speaks that to you. Also, you know, let me say this other about integrity, and that is this. One time, uh, I don't know how Rhonda and I got on this conversation, this topic of trust. But we were talking about it, and, and uh, you know, she said, Jeff, I just want you to know something. She says, I trust you because you've never given me a reason not to trust you. Did you hear that? That's one of the greatest statements anybody's ever said to me in my life. I don't know, and it's been years ago that she made that statement. I trust you because you've never given me a reason not to trust you. And I can just tell you, that's the kind of life I want to live and the kind of life you want to live. And as a pastor of this church, I want you to know, that's what I want to happen here. I want to, I want to be the man that, that I don't want to ever, ever give you a reason not to trust me. I want to be above board about everything. Man, because we need people in integrity. See, the world's not looking for incredible people. It's looking for credible people. And God's called us to be those kind of people. That's what Christians are, is those kind of people. The second thing is letter B, is keep my promises. Keep my promises. The psalmist picks this up. In Psalms 15 and 4, he said, Those who love God, look what he says about them. They always do what they promise, no matter how much it may what? It may cost. You keep your word. You make a promise, you keep your word. I've got something to tell you today. Many of you, if I were to ask you, what is your greatest ability? You say, well, my greatest ability is that, you know, at work, man, I'm the guy that I can run that piece of equipment. I'm the lady at work, you know, I, I'm the one that can run the office. Or I'm the guy that's a leader there. My greatest ability is leadership, you know. In my home, my greatest ability is this and this. And you would just go on and on and on and list all those things because every one of you has a, an ability that you're good at. But I want to tell you, your greatest ability is not what you can do. Your greatest ability is dependability. Did you hear that? Your greatest ability is dependability. It's not what you can do. It's being dependable. That you do what you say you will do. That you say it, you do it. Dependability is the greatest gift that you have. And listen, everybody in this room has an opportunity to do that. I'm telling you, man, when you become dependable, you become happier. Why? Because people like you more. They like you. They begin to express that. And it just begins to become better. I'll say this to you. As I said, it takes a Christ follower to live this kind of life. You see, we're called to be different. As Christians, we should be different. You know, we should be the people that you can count on. Our word should be our word, right? It should be our bond. We shouldn't have to go to 10 lawyers to get me to do what I say I'm going to do. If you're a Christ follower today, Man, it's, it's integrity and character is what you've been called to. You're not like everybody else. You're called out of this world. 
You don't live like everybody else lived. And so today, if you're not a Christ follower, then I would do you injustice, an injustice if I didn't give you an opportunity to become a Christ follower. So in a moment, I'm going to have you to bow your heads, everybody in this room, and, and you're going to pray one of two prayers. You're going to either pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life, and I'm just tired of playing around. I want to cut the bull, Lord, and I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me of my sins that come into my life. Our number two prayer is going to be this, God, help the people in this room that don't know you to know you. Ready? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, there's people that you brought here today that, Lord, they're just not following you. God, they've been playing, and now today is the day they decide to get serious because they want to be people of integrity that they can find happiness. And God, right now, they're making that decision. They're saying, dear Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. And Lord, the other people in this room are praying for them. And I thank you so much for those that have made that decision today because their lives is going to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a hand for those people that just come to Christ? Amen. For those of you that pray the prayer, I want you to just mark it on the back of this connection card. On the back of your card, if you would just mark the box, it says, I have made a decision to follow Christ today. If you'll check that, we can pray for you. Okay, let me give you the next one. Number three, learn how to work well with others. Again, this sounds like kindergarten stuff, doesn't it? It's amazing how we teach this to our children when they're small. Okay, you got to learn how to get along, right? You got to learn how to play with each other. You can't go take everybody's toys away from them. You got to learn how to play right, right? And we teach that stuff to our children. You know, you got to learn how to get along. We, we put them in team sports. You got to learn how to get along. If you don't learn how to work well with others, you're never going to have much happiness in your life. And so today I want to give you two key lessons, two key things that I think will help you do that. Number one is this, learn to cooperate. Would you write that down? Now, Paul, as he's writing here, we're going to go back into the Scripture, he's writing about another guy by the name of Ephroditus. How would you like to have that name hung on you? Ephroditus. What's your name? Ephroditus. Can you say that? Ephroditus is my name. So, so, he's, so he says, okay, this guy, Aphrodite, has, has, has been a, a Christ follower as well, and he begins to exemplify some things, and so we learn from this how to cooperate. Look what he says in Philippians 2.25. He says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Aphrodite, look what he says, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now notice this, there's three things that he says there that helps us in life and ministry. And life and ministry is three things, and that's, this is the three things I have written down for you. It's a family. Remember years ago how in church services we used to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ? You remember that? Like, I might say, hello, Brother Lee, it's good to see you today, you know? Uh, hello, Brother Carrie, it's good to see you today. You know, hello, Sister Marty, it's good to see you today. And I could just go on and on and on. And we'd say every time we'd greet one another, it'd be brothers and sisters. Remember that? Any of you remember those days? Okay. Well, that's the way it used to be. Why? Because when we were Christians, we're Christ followers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we must understand that we're a family. Then the second thing, we understand that we're a fellowship. That means that we work and serve together. We have the same cause. God is saved. When God saved you, he called you to the Great Commission. That you're going to go into all world and preach the gospel. You're to, you're to make disciples. That's what you're called to do. And so we have the same mission. 
And we have the same fight. Would you agree? The same devil that wants to take my family down wants to take your family down. He wants to destroy your integrity. He wants to destroy your character. He wants to destroy you, period. And I have the same fight. So we're in this thing together. In other words, we, I don't have time to fight you. I've got a bigger fight. Did you hear that? In the family of God, we don't have time to fight each other. We've got a bigger enemy. He's called the devil. And so we just fight him together. And that's why a church is so important. Because we support one another. We encourage one another. We depend on one another. We count on one another. And that's why a church is important. And let me just say, man, I'm so proud of you. You know, this semester in our Connect Groups, we've had more people sign up for Connect Groups this time around and show up than ever before. And that just, that's a mark of maturity among you, is that you understand God's Word is more true than culture, that you make time to do what's important. I just want to say thank you because you're going to grow in Christ. You see, our church is all about four things. You ready? Here they are. We're about connecting, we're about growing, we're about serving, and we're about sharing. We're about connecting with God and His family. We're about growing in God's character. We're about serving God's church. And we're about sharing God's message. That's all we're about is those four things. Why? Because we need each other. Number two, let me give you the second key here. Learn to be considerate. Oh, boy, you better buckle up again. Here it goes. You see, we must be thoughtful of the effects of our words and actions. Oh, are you ready? How many of you know someone that says, well, I just say what I think? And we take pride in that. Don't we? It's like a mark, you know. Yeah, I'm a man. I just say what I think. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody likes you. (laughs) I just say what I think, you know. I don't care if it hurts their feelings or not. I just tell it like it is. If you're that person today, let me help you out, friend. It's that people don't like you. You need to change your attitude. And there's some things that come in your mind you just need to keep to yourself. Why can I talk this boldly about it? Because it's me. I'm that guy. You know, I was raised, man, in my home to where people are like, you got to stand up for yourself. Somebody hits you, you got to hit them back. You got to say what you think. Don't be run over. Well, that's okay, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you know, living in the, on the, in the, you know, in the place that I lived, that's okay. You had to fight for your right. But when you become adult, you can't talk to people like that. You can't just say what you think. You got to let that filter of God touch that. And just because it comes to your mind doesn't mean it needs to come out of your mouth. Woo, man, you might want to give extra an offering today. I just, I just helped you out. Are you, watch this, are you ready? I'm not done yet. Here it comes. Here's the second part. Are you ready? Here it comes. If you don't like what you're seeing in your spouse, then maybe you need to watch what you're saying to your spouse. If you don't like what you're seeing in your children, maybe you need to watch what you're saying to your children. Cool boy. See, the reason I say you might want to put a little extra in the offering plate because if you take that home and you put it in your pipe and smoke it. If you do that, it'll save you about 10 weeks of counseling. Did you hear that? Because most of us are causing our own conflict with the words that are coming out of our mouth. 
You see, if you could kick the person that caused you the most problems, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week, would you? Because it's what's coming right out of here. That My mama used to say this, Jeff, your mockingbird mouth's going to get your jaybird backside in trouble. And she was right. But she didn't say it that nicely. I can't say what she said. If you don't like what you're seeing in others, watch what you're saying. It will change your life. It will change your marriage. It will change your family. That's why we have a memory verse here. By the way, a memory verse means you memorize it. And so this is our memory verse, Colossians 4, 6, in the message paraphrase. It says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a what? In a conversation, not put them down and not cut them out. Rhonda and I put these memory verses every week. We take them home and cut them out. We put them on our refrigerator. And then we begin to get them in our minds and hearts, and we quiz each other about them. Why? Because if we spend more time concentrating on God's Word, then we have less time to worry. Boy, this is just a good one today. I can't, it's just a good message, isn't it? I'm telling you what. When you, put, when you put more time, when you spend more time trying to remember God's word, that's less time that other junk can get in your head. That's the less time you worry about the bills. That's the less time you worry about your schoolwork. That's the less time you worry about work. It's the less time you worry about crises that are going on in the world. You just begin to focus on God and you have some peace you haven't had in a long time. Because of God's Word. Because of God's Word. So, as a next step today, I'm asking you to memorize Colossians 4, 6. Cut it out when you get home, put it on your refrigerator, and begin to ask your kids to memorize it because they'll hold you accountable too. So do that for yourself. Would you check the box on the back of your card? The reason I ask you to do that is because I'm going to pray for you if you do that, that God will sharpen your mind. Okay, number four. <clears throat> Live for something worth dying for. If you want to be happy, live for something worth dying for. I see this all the time, that people have got the wrong idea. Most of us today live for what I call the gold watch syndrome. What is that? That means that, you know, you work for a company for about, you know, 30 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And at the end, when you retire, they hand you the little gold watch and say, oh, here is your gold watch. Thank you so much. And we put your name on the plaque. And the problem with that is, is that you go home and put that gold watch in a drawer somewhere. And then after a year or so after you've gone, they take your plaque down and they put it in a closet for a couple of months. And then after it's in a closet for a couple of months, it goes in the garbage. And nobody ever knew you was there. And so your life that you invested so much in, you gave everything for, is no longer there. And it's like this. You find out that the ladder, the, 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 the wall that your ladder was propped against was actually a wall, the wrong wall, because it had no meaning. See, when you do things for eternity that last, then that has meaning. It has meaning, and those things that are not, don't build your life on those other things. So Paul begins to talk about Ephroditus here. Look what he says. He says, indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Notice these next sentences here. 
So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And what? Honor people like him. You see that? Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Paul was saying about this guy, Ephroditus. Why is, he, why is he talking about him so much? The reason is because the church at Philippi had received an offering from Paul, wanted to help him, but they had to get it to, you, to him. And there was no trains and there was no planes. So the only way to get it from Greece to Rome, which was 800 miles, was for somebody to take that offering there. And so Ephroditus said, you know what? I'll do it. What that meant was he walked 800 miles to help the church out. And so, you know what, he left there, and what Ephroditus could have done was said, okay, on the journey, he had to fight robbers, he had to fight bad weather, he had to fight sandstorms, he had to fight all that stuff. And he could have said on, when he got about a third of the way there, saying, this is too difficult, I can't do this anymore, it's too bad, and turned around and went back. But no, he decided that he would walk every step of the way, over 800 miles, to deliver the offering to help the church that it needed. He did what he said he would do. He started what he finished. So I have a couple of questions for you. One of the questions I have today is, what commitments have you made that you need to complete? What commitments to your wife have you made that you need to complete? What commitments have you made to your husband that you need to complete? What commitments have you made to your children that you need to complete? What commitments to God have you made that you need to complete. What are they? What commitments have you made in your community that you need to complete? You see, one of the saddest things that I deal with as a pastor is this, is I, I get kids when they're you know 20 and 30 and 40 years old come and sit down and talk with me, and they got all these issues, and it stems right back to, you know, when my parents divorced, and, and my dad wouldn't show up, my mom wouldn't show up. It stems right back to that. They wouldn't do what they said they would do, and it scarred my life, and I still struggle with that. I'm still bitter about it today. Man, let's, let's do what we say we're going to do. Let's follow through on our commitments that we make to Almighty God as well. Follow through. What commitments to your church have you made that you've not followed through on? Man, step in the game right now. Become a credible person. The second question I have for you is this. Is your commitments to Christ deep enough to cause you to take risks? Are you willing to risk anything for God? Are you willing to take any kind of risk? Risk. You see, that's where faith grows. And look at me just a second. I want everybody to tune in because I got something to say here. I want you to know I owe you an apology. I've sinned. I know you're waiting on me to drop some big bomb. When I, I hadn't had an affair or anything like that. But here's the sin I've committed. Over the last two years, I've refused to take any risk with our church. It's time for us to begin to expand our facilities. We got three services that are going on now. You know, it's a, this is a vacation week, and you know we're still two thirds full here. We have a nine o'clock service that's running. You know, about 120 people in it, and this service and a. A 10 o'clock, a 12 o'clock service run about 140 people in that service. You put both those together, we can't get them together anymore. It's time to knock these walls out. It's time to do what we said we would do, our plan. And the reason I haven't done that is because I've been afraid to take a risk. 
You know why? Because in order to do that, we're going to have to raise some funds to do it. And you know what? I hate being labeled the pastor. All they want is money. All they want is your money. All they want is your money. I got an email this week that said that. I'm sorry that that person doesn't understand the heart of God and my heart. I try to be a man that gives as much as anybody around here. But I'm telling you, it's time to take risks. And I want you to know I repent before God. I've repented before God. I repent before you. I ask you to forgive me. And we are going to take this community by storm. We're going to say no more safety, no more sitting back and waiting on something to come supernaturally. No, we're going to say, God, we're going to take the step. We're going to get out. We're going to risk. We're going to see people come to Jesus Christ. We're going to change our community. Your sons and your daughters will rise up and be the people of God they're, they're called to be because they'll have mentors and people that will go before them because we will take risk. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. No more playing it safe. We see a group called ISIS over there right now that's taking over the whole Middle East. Why? Because they said, we're going to risk for our cause. We're going to die for our cause. Listen, when good lays down, bad gets up. I'm telling you, it's time for us as the people of God to rise up because good is the only thing that can overcome evil. We can't play it safe anymore. we got to get out on the front lines and be what God has called us to be. Amen? Risk, risk, risk. You see, our church will never be all that it should be unless we take risk together. We can't do it by ourselves. I want you to say this with me. Are you ready? One, I want you to say this when I count to three. I am Stockbridge Community Church. Ready on the count of three. Can you say that? One, two, three. I am Stockbridge Community Church. Come on, one more time. I am Stockbridge Community Church. You see, when you say the church, you, if you're just thinking about a building, man, it's done. No, no, no. The church is, we're the church. And God's called us to take risk and be inconvenienced for his cause. Or if not, the evil is going to take over this wave that is coming. I'm telling you, unless the church wakes up and says, no, I've got to do my part. I've got to get involved. I've got to be a part of this. I can't be too busy anymore. I've got to do it. Unless we do that, then listen, the evil will overcome us. But when we rise up in the name of Jesus and we do our part in the name of Jesus, good overcomes evil. I need your partnership today. As I've repented before you and God, I need you to do a little soul searching. Many of you have made commitments, but you've not followed through with them in serving. And so inside of your sheet, inside of your program is a sheet like this. Listen, maybe you've made a commitment and you've not followed through. I want you to re-sign up because we need you. We need you. And if you're, listen, can I say one more thing as your pastor who loves you? If your intention is to never get involved here and never do anything else here, this is the wrong church for you. Wrong church. You know why? Because people like you get very cynical when they're not involved because if you're not helping row the boat, you tend to rock it. And we don't have time for that around here because we have work for, to do for God. I know that's very strong. I know you, you say, well, I can't believe he said that. Lord, you'd, you'd be surprised if you know what I didn't say. Because I love you. So I'm asking you today to take that sheet and sign up. Happiness comes from putting service before security. If your church needs you to walk 800 miles, would you do it? Would you do it? 
This is the way the church began. And you and I are riding on the backs of people that sacrificed everything they could because they believed in the church. And if we lay down right now, it will not exist. I'm telling you, I'm so passionate because the way we know church right now and the freedom that we have in just a few years, it's going to be gone unless we start taking it seriously. Be the church. Would you stand with me now? I'd like our prayer partners go ahead and make your forward. I want to read one more verse to you. Jesus said this in Mark 8 and 35. He said the secret to happiness is this. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up, up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, you'll what? Some of you are trying to save your life by, by not getting involved with what God's doing. And you're going to lose it. I offer you the opportunity today to begin to save your life and your family's life by getting involved. These altars are open for you to pray. These people are here to pray with you. Why? Because you can count on God. Because God was there in the past and He'll be there in the future. Did you hear that? God was there in the past, and He'll be there in the future. Today, I want you to put all your trust in Him. Thank you again so much for joining us online at SCC. I would love to know that you're out there listening and be able to connect with you. If you would, email me at jeffdaws at sccview.net. The spelling of my name is J-E-F-F-D-A-W-S. I pray you have a blessed week. And join us again soon.